we're rifling through another person's baggage. Emotions, not only of sight and sound, but of mind. A journey into treacherous seas. Whose only boundaries are that of the human heart. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the The baggage baggage claim. Hey guys, this is Genevieve. And I'm Steven. And this is a safe haven to speak your truth. Ryan Adams is a nappy-nominated comedian from right here in Mobile, Alabama. He is one half of the reigning, defending Twitter Sitters podcast. Which is the motley crew of Twitter Review podcasts. He's also Dorith on Four Orbs Dungeons & Dragons podcast. And he's here today to claim some baggage. Something he's been known to do in his stand-up routine. Hey, Stephanie, would you mind uh, rolling the clip? So y'all about to learn some shit about me. So I don't have, I guess what you would call a sex life. Like, I didn't lose my virginity. I mean, like, my actual virginity until I was 30 years old. I'm currently 31 years old, so you can kind of do the math there. I mean, it's not because I'm unattractive or anything. I mean, look at me. I'm dead sexy. Of course, that's not why. But it's just that I guess I'm not interested enough. Like, sometimes I can't even tell when someone is trying to fuck me. Like, for example, I was talking to a girl once downtown here somewhere. And uh, we're talking about video games, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I just got the new Super Smash Brothers game. And she's like, oh, yeah, I'd like to come over and play it sometime. And I'm like, dope, absolutely, you can come over tonight. And I'm thinking, or I like to think in my mind at that moment, she's thinking, I can tell by the look in his eyes, he wants to fuck me. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm thinking, I can tell in the look in her eye, she is not ready for my Princess Peach. I'm about to fucking dust this fool. She doesn't even know. So, Ryan. Yes? Why are you here? Uh, to claim some baggage, right? That is the name of the show. Um, Ryan, <laughs> hey. We're here to discuss, basically, whatever you want to discuss today. Can we discuss what we just heard? Yeah, that would be a really good entry point. Let's do it. Yeah, apparently, uh, I feel like I got a lot to say about that. My palms are sweating. Is that okay? How is your knees? My knees are fine. My palms, though. But anyway, yeah. What do you need his knees for? I just want to make sure they're not weak. He's he's oh. he's he, he's having a really open heart. I see. Thank you. He's perfect for this. Um. Well, the clip is is weird because I wrote that joke a while back and I was kind of nervous about performing it because it, it kind of reveals a lot about me, but I try to like mask it in humor to where it kind of doesn't seem like I've dropped a bombshell on you. Well, I think that's the best comedy. I think if someone goes out and the whole bit is that they're a... Um, morose you know self-hating yet self-absorbed you know like any kind of like negative type story 
it's not a joke. It's just somebody being like that. But if you go out there and really pour your heart out, you, you know you're going to spice in the, the com- comedic bits to kind of mask any other kind of feeling that you could be having about it, whether it be um, self-consciousness and things like that. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder, like, do I want to break their hearts or not? And I always land on no, because I don't want to just go out there and be like, my life was so sad. No punchline. Well, no, so, everyone wants, I feel like if you go to, uh, you go to see a comedian, especially if you're there on purpose, it's not just you're at the bar <laughs> and hanging out in the back, but if you're there on purpose in front of the stage, you want to like the person, unless you're a belligerent drunk, which of course is going to happen. You're going to have an asshole who wants to heckle, but if you're there, hopefully you're there to like the person. Before you did this joke, how many people in that room of people, because this is the blind mule open mic comedy night yes. on Wednesdays in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, which, by the way, is filled with people who have known me for years. How many uh, of them knew you were a virgin before this joke? Zero. No one knew that. Well, there were people in my life that knew, but no one that was in that room knew that. How many people do you think were in the room at the time? Uh, 30, 35. How Something many, like that. How many did you know? Uh, it was a lot of comedians, and I it, it was people I wouldn't say that I knew personally, but just people that I crossed paths with. So I'd say about half of them wow. I knew. I have varying levels of friendship. But to be honest, I mean, it, I mean, I think, feel like the older we get as people, especially guys, the older we mature, the less we are just going to sit around and talk about our sex lives. It's something you do when you're a 14-year-old or a 15-year-old. Everyone is just going to assume past an age. The thing about me is that it's weird because I, not to like pat myself on the back or anything, but I never present myself as a person that has never had sex, if that makes any sense. Like, you couldn't tell just by, like, looking at me and interacting, it, like like you can with some people. But can you? I mean, that's the thing. Like, there could be someone who I can imagine, and I'm sure this has happened a million times in the world, where someone kind of paints themselves as, like, a, a Don Juan-type asshole for years, and, you know, everyone assumes, and of course it's like, oh, of course this happens, a trope in a movie. But, like... Everyone assumes, oh, he, there's no way that he hasn't. When, of course, like, oh, he's a total virgin. Steven, I'll have you know that I have a excellent virgin dar. I can smell a virgin. I'm serious. Explain. I want to hear more about it. Do well, you, I can't. Do you eat virgins? No. Okay. <laughs> you don't use your powers for evil. You never do that. But I can't explain it, Steven. It's not, it's, it's innate. I, I can just tell. It's like a gaydar. I'm in tune with these people. I made it to, to wizard status. I can tell exactly how many sexual partners everyone has had. It's either 4, 12, or 76. There's no in-between. Wow. <laughs> Is that true? No, it's not true. Okay. But I will say that I feel like Genevieve and I are... What was the, the big one? The big one? The big number. What was 77. the biggest number? 77. 77? Yeah. Uh, okay. So we both, I feel like you and I both have the spirit of 77. <laughs> <laughs> Is 
that like a steak sauce? It is absolutely. <laughs> or y'all like like sex superstars? Like what? you got your uh, your jersey hanging up in some bar somewhere? Um, loose. Maybe the better word for it. I don't. Know, I wouldn't call it a superstar. Loose has a negative connotation. I know it does. You know that's. I got banned from the music box bathroom for eating pussy when I was nineteen. Yeah, I know. I've never gotten banned from anyone anywhere, um, but I should have. I mean, I. <laughs> I, I just say we're nasty. I mean, I, I was sixteen years old getting a blowjob in the bottom of a art museum like basement it was like it was in the bottom of the art museum in some library area that was tapered off yeah so yeah i should have been banned from somewhere mostly it's, movie theaters it's crazy for me to think that while this was going on in your lives i was somewhere like studying or playing video games or something i did all of those as well but somehow i always ended up working in my overactive uh sex drive as a you know but mid mid age teen. What sucks is I was somewhere studying and playing video games, thinking that I was better than people out having fun. Which were, is were you? Huh? Were you? Was I better than those people? Do you think now that you were better, maybe not better, but better off, more better off than those people? No, and it's a mentality that I had to get over because it always used to be kind of. Like, obvious to me back then that in order to have a life like that, you had to do something nefarious to, like, get into that club or whatever. And it's like, no, I'm not one of those people. I'm a I'm a good boy. Like, I'm not going to manipulate people. And it's like, I don't know, it wasn't until I got older that I realized that wasn't the case. Like, nice people are having sex. Well, yeah, I- <laughs> You know, it, there's a lot of um, there are a lot of things that kids go through, especially at those ages in high school and middle school as well, to where you see a certain sect of people say one thing. It's like how many straight edge kids went to high school? Oh yeah, in between you know 2003 and 2000 and whenever eight six, like everyone, I was involuntarily straight edge. A lot of the kids I feel like were, but being in like the edge group and you know they they were all the kids who hung out with the um they hung out with the mall gods you know i went to theodore you went to satsuma, satsuma yeah. yeah you graduated with 06 yes i graduated in 08 okay. um let's say our age uh i am 29 as of the recording i am 28 and ryan i'm 31 that's right because you're born in 88 yes yeah see. wow and we all grew up in the same age range so we all kind of have these similar experiences i totally understand like when people have an idea in their mind like the straight edge kids i was talking about they think something's cool fuck you if you do drugs fuck you if you do this just because they've never done it before so they don't know how they really feel about it yes you know what i mean and you will get sucked into that that feeling and that mindset until you just kind of grow out of it at least in some certain in certain uh situations i don't know how you moved away from it well for me it was just like it's it's how it's always been but just with a different mindset about it it's always been that i have other things that i'm focusing on like i have things that i would rather focus that energy on other than 
you know, trying to chase down sex. Yeah. And it, that's always worked out for me as an, as like an escape or like an excuse to try to like make myself think that I don't need this or whatever. And I don't still like it's not like a huge part of my life or anything. It's just now I realize like it's not bad, you know, because it's always seemed like a bad thing to me. The act of sex. Yeah. And the culture surrounding it and. It seemed like I would have to be a person that I didn't want to be in order to. Like, like, <laughs> manly? Yeah. Like, and kinda, take stuff from people? And kind of manipula- manipulative yeah. and. Yeah, yeah. sexuality um, is manipulative at that age, I think, inherently. I mean, not that that it's all bad, but um, people are at, a whole lot of people at really varied power levels. Um, and we all go through that. Yeah. We all go through, um, if you, at that age, if you participate in the, I don't know, sex. <laughs> the sex. The sex. <laughs> if you participate in the sex, then you now have... You, the more you do it, or you know, the more you think you you do it, the more you think you're more known than the other guy you go to school with, and it does become like, oh yeah, he's the guy getting laid, and then you have to kind of like wear that kind of. It, it totally becomes politics. It is totally toxic, but sex is always going to be toxic, especially if you have a sex with enough people, then it, people start interloping, especially in a town like we live in. Oh yeah. yeah. Like this is, and Genevieve and all, and I constantly refer to it as this, and it's, this won't be the first time. The scene in the town we live in, which again is uh, Mobile, Alabama, it's, it's totally incestuous. It, it, <laughs> I, I hate to say it for an Alabama way, but like we're not well, all it's related. Socially incestuous. We're, yeah, we are all related some way. Well, like we've all like I'm like two degrees of sex separation away from Jeff Sessions because I fucked an alcoholic. Who fucked a sometime prostitute cam girl or something? Who fucked Jeff Sessions? Oh, you have the receipts on this. I thought that was just a a, a reference you were making. Well, it's like something you an alcoholic said. So I don't know how true it is, but an alcoholic told me that this is a guy who uh almost bit off my finger because he mistook it for a chicken wing. Oh wow! He was that kind of alcoholic. And then blamed you. Right? Yep. I mean, <laughs> my finger was delicious. <laughs> um, so when you told your joke, though, um, how did people you know there react to it? Did anyone come up to you and say anything? No, and that's the coolest part. And that's part of kind of what... I don't know. It's like it mirrors what happened in real life with the whole virginity thing because it was like I lost my virginity at somewhere somewhere around 30 and then the next day I woke up and I was the same person like nothing had changed and it was kind of the same when I told the joke because like for me it was like a a weight lifted off my shoulders but I get off stage and no one mentions it like no one says anything did you want someone to I don't know I kind of had responses canned, like ready in in case someone did, but I, I'll say no. I didn't. 
that's it's such an awkward thing when we do that because we all do that i don't care who you are if you go through a if you know you're going to do something that is socially awkward we say that thing that phrase all the time about people but when you very rarely do people do things you know in that sort of way that is that could that is, it can go one way or the other or in your case just kind of sit in neutral kind of like it didn't, yeah yeah it wasn't bad it wasn't good it was just kind of like all right we I find that if you drop enough of a bomb on people in art, they won't say shit. Oh, like, there's nothing okay. to say. Like, that's how it is with poets when they drop something crazy. It's just like, I mean, it's a safe haven, too. Like this. Do yeah, truth. absolutely. And, you know, again, when you drop a bomb on people like that, I feel like it sort of... it sort of paralyzes any any sort of like reaction it's like seeing something or hearing something that's shocking when it's really shocking it's something that you just don't expect it sits in you for a little while even if it's not even if it's more of a subconscious thing not that everyone in the room was just <gasps> yeah and but it's real shit it's real and so much of comedy and my favorite comedy is real you know stories that i feel like anyone Anyone could truly relate to. I could relate to that situation. Even, even you know, 77 uh, over here. <laughs> like, absolutely. I haven't had sex with 77 people. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's less than 50. I like how you had to slide in to clarify that. Um, <laughs> Just so people, this is a joke, ladies and gentlemen. So, like, all right. So, you tell this joke. Um, yes. And you've been practicing this joke since. Yeah, uh, it's it's in my main rotation. I would say, I like the the sting of saying it has kind of left, and I'm more just trying to craft it into a your cool punchline. Your real routine. Yeah. It, well, you tell you right now, it's much better than a lot of you know really hackneyed uh, comedian like routines they they constantly go to. It's better than Dane Cook's coats. Oh, God, you're putting me against Dan Cook. I am. Fuck Dan Cook. You're oh, better no. than him. Whoa. You are. All right, I'm not going to comment on that. I like Dan Cook when he was really young and on a lot of amphetamines or diet pills or something and in a black tank top. I want to say right now, <laughs> like, I, I want to clarify. I pacing around stage. <laughs> I want to yes. clar- clarify. I like you because I know you. Oh, that's why I like you more than Dan Cook. But you're right. That Comedy Central presents where he's looking like an alien with he's all cooked up and splashed <laughs> up. It's pretty good. That's that is peak Dan Cook. I was in middle school and I laughed and I laughed with my first girlfriend. I'm Dan Cook for me is like Nickelback, where I'm like on this crusade to try to get people to remember a time where they thought this was cool. I will say, um, just because music is it's not what I was into. I was that age like 11 but i remember when that song that nickelback tune they uh how you remind yeah me? yeah that's that is a perfectly fine song i sing that at karaoke at my earliest convenience whenever just to remind people you because they'll see the song come up on the uh the screen and they and laugh they'll boo yeah. or laugh or whatever and then i'll get into the song and you'll see the hearts of the crowd change it's incredible because <laughs> you should do it it's a tr- it's a, like a tremendously catchy song it's like it's not really like it's not heavy. It's like uh, a light mix type yeah. of tune. Yeah, it's very four p.m. drive home. Absolutely, <laughs> it's so not offensive. 
and it's inoffensive. And that's well, Coldplay. A similar thing happened to Coldplay, right? But like, we all had the scientist on Napster. I didn't. I would actually rather listen to that Nickelback song than listen to any Coldplay. Coldplay had its place. It had its place, and Clocks is pretty cool. But I just I I liked Radiohead, so. Complacing oh, yeah, redundant. Oh, yes. So much better than Coldplay. <laughs> Look, we're not going to pit my two friends against each other like this. They're different bands with different feels entirely. Uh, who? Which friends? Radiohead and Coldplay. Oh, do you, do you think they're friends? They're my friends. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> they don't have to know each other, well, but they both know me. Okay, well, I have to ask it. Um, how do you feel about Muse? I liked their earlier stuff but i haven't gotten into any of their recent stuff oh now their new stuff is oh god i stopped up black holes and revelations yeah that's the best one okay yeah yeah that's where i stopped yeah that's that's really good muse is actually strip club music a lot of people don't realize but it's probably why they don't like it ah that's probably why i do like it that's why some music people hate until they do drugs and listen to it and realize oh i was just missing everything yeah like i had to like pole dance and hit myself in the head uh to understand rihanna but now i do <laughs> rihanna came to you in a in a vision <laughs> when you were knocked out now um going back to the stand-up clip virginity has been the thing that it's it's your buzzword in this episode yeah and what led you to what were the things that you experienced in your life up until the moment that's all that continuously kept you from getting there. Yeah, like why'd you finally do it versus before? Well, I, I guess you could say I never really cared about anybody for the longest time because that was what I discovered is a big thing with me being like, sexually attracted to somebody is I have to like really like them and really care and before it was it felt like a formality for me to have a girlfriend and not that I'm like oh my god I really like this person it was always just kind of like oh this person likes me so I guess I should be in a relationship with them and I would pretty much never want to have sex and some people got mad at me, but that's, I don't know, that's fine, whatever. Now, you say some people got mad at you. Do you mean people who were trying to have sex with you? People that assumed I was going to have sex with them. That's something that I feel like we never hear enough from um, as a guy speaking. Um, we, it's just one of those things you don't hear too often are guys who are turning down the girls. It's just not spoken. I'm not about. just like out here breaking hearts or nothing. No, no, no. That's not what I just, mean. You know what I mean. The guys yeah. who don't feel comfortable in the situation because most guys are down to fuck all of the time. Girls can be a lot more forward. Like girls can be like borderline rapey in their dealings just because they're allowed to. Yeah. You know, like they're allowed to kind of like grab people or like give a really flirty hug. Like if a girl walked up to you and gave you like a just, you know, rub titties fucking kind of <laughs> hug with your cheeks, hot breath, yeah, you know, can, like they, they can, can just do that. do that. But if a guy, a random guy that I was friend zoned, <clears throat> that I had friend zoned, if he did that to me, that would be like considered sexual assault. It would be sexual assault. Yes. And it is a weird double standard that I, I agree with. You know, like I wouldn't do that to a woman. I, I, 
that's something that like I, there, there are things that I completely understand. Um, again, from my perspective, um, listening to you, I understand the idea of not wanting to be predatory and not and having that be something that you want to steer clear of. And because so much of like sexual culture is looking at someone and saying, I want to fuck that. How do I do it? Yeah. And, yeah. I get that because I grew up in a house with four women. It was my mom, my grandmother, and two aunts and me. I always, I grew up, I always say I'm an honorary sister. Like, <laughs> I'm just, I'm very much geared towards what they taught me as opposed to, and my dad, I saw him on the weekends, and it's not like he was telling me the opposite, but they geared something in me. Like, I've never bought a girl a drink at a bar, not once. Never? Ever, never, ever, ever. I never wanted to seem like someone who was trying to A, liquor up anyone, or B, um, insert my dominance on their night. Why is my drink? That's true. Why is my drink better than your friends or the other guy at the end of the bar or the fucking bartender or your own? She should make a choice to talk to you. Exactly. I mean, she can, even if we're talking, if she, you know, if I'm drinking, then it's different. But if I'm going up to a girl, like I've seen so many guys and it's, it's, it's something that happens in real life all the time. That's how I used to get drinks is, (laughs) I mean, I show up without money. Wow, for uh, real? She, if she's not the only girl, uh, there are a lot of, lot, lot of people do that. And hell, I, I would just women go- make less on the dollar. This is how we get it back. Our huh. razors are more expensive, so. I never saw it like that. But I don't do that anymore, though, because that's dangerous to do. It's extremely dangerous. No, but dangerous you've successfully justified it, though. So he, you would have won the debate. He's not wrong. Yeah. I mean, there's like my truth, and then there's the truth. But no, that always seemed like a weird thing to do to me. And I, I don't know. I always just kind of took it, take a person further. Like, even if it's in the moment, clearly, again, you know, hashtag 77 club. Um, <laughs> clearly, I don't, I don't have, and, I don't, and Genevieve, I doubt, has the same kind of hang up as far as really, 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 really having to care about someone to get to that point. Sometimes you get, I, you know, sometimes you get to that point and then along the line, it's like, okay, I think I love them. I think for me, like I, I kind of know right away if I can get it together or if there's some kind of chemistry with the person, like I know like right away and I'm, but I'm not going to like pursue it. I just know that it can happen. Oh, and well, I know that I'm attracted. Like, I know that I'm attracted and that it's like that song, I can tell that we are going to be friends. Like, oh, I yeah. just am good at finding the people and knowing. <laughs> um, and so my attraction's right away. And then oftentimes, I mean, even if it's not a long-term thing, I do build a quick intimacy with people. Um, so, yeah. I will say that it's better. It's certainly so much better with actual intimacy um, because when it's fleeting, I always tell my guy friends this and uh, in most uh, havens, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say something so crude, but safe haven, I'll say it. I always tell a guy or a girl, this is definitely pertains to both of us. If you're unsure about what you want to do as far as having sex with someone or not having sex with them, if they're going to be on the way, jerk off, do it right now. Come. If you still want to go over there, right after coming then yeah but if you're not but if you if you've spent it then you were just feeling like 
Blowing one. You were thinking with your dick. Exactly. Yeah. So put your head back in on order, you know, and clear, basically center yourself. And if you still want to go, then go. If not, then I don't know. That's why I don't fuck with online dating. It just seems like the idea of deliberately dating. Like, and I guess that's where I kind of relate to you is that I don't understand why people are always looking for a partner. And that maybe from my privileged and not so privileged position where like, I'm like a serial monogamist and I find it very easy and I've just, I can always materialize a boyfriend or whatever. <laughs> You're, uh, yeah, That's and, your superpower. No, and you can just materialize. I can summon them with my Nokia phone. <laughs> yeah, you just spit an incantation real quick. But I can't imagine going out and getting one on purpose. Like, I can't imagine making a profile, going on a date, getting to know someone in a forced way. It's never forced for me either. Um, And that's something that I have dealt with since I was 14 years old. I have very rarely ever really been single for any kind of long, long, long period of time. Like a year was maybe the longest. But there was always someone and everyone at this table knows someone that I dated. That's just, that's the town that we live in. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's just, that's the circle. Again, that's the socially incestuous circle. We cannot, we could all, circle. we could all go years and years and years without seeing each other. But there's still some inner, lo- inner line, like intertwined stream that got crossed, whether we know it or not. And that's just, yeah, that's, that is the way it is. And then there's that time that everyone gathered in the circle and peed on each other. But no one talks about that. I must not have been there for that. Me neither. <laughs> Damn. Um, so. That's some Murphy, that's <laughs> that, some Murphy High School legend oh, bullshit. Oh, that's some Midtown shit? That's some Midtown like shit. Like jacking yeah. off on a fucking honey bun? Did I ever tell y'all about cum shows? Tell us. Cum shows is a game uh, of legend that was played uh, years ago by me and some co-patriots of mine where you get a bowl of nachos and you place it amongst a a group of guys you all pull your dicks out and you start masturbating and the last person to come on the nachos has to eat them nachos <laughs> did it happen twice whoa okay we got to hear about this did you eat the nachos I've never eaten the nachos. Who ate the nachos? I'm not telling you who's eating the. I've already, I've already betrayed the sanctity of cum shows by telling you that it exists. Okay. Do I know who? Do I know the person? No, I'm not telling you anything. I'm not letting you like twenty questions me. Fuck that. What about twenty one questions? Yeah, 20, by, and uh, they're all about us. Yeah, they're all about us. Whatever that is, no. Um, okay, so you finally lost your virginity about a year ago, right? Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about the circumstances of that, because you weren't a relationship guy, but you were obviously in a relationship enough to do the sex. Yeah, it it was, I'd say it's like trying to find a job when you're homeless is the same as trying to, you know, find a sexual partner when you're a virgin at the age that I was at, which is, you know, 30. But it was a girl that I was, like, off and on with for some years. And, you know, we felt like we had matured. 
and we were like, oh, we're going to do this once and for all. And, and one of the things that uh, we agreed on going into the relationship is that we were going to communicate, we were going to be honest. And she had dated me for a while, years before, and like pretty early on, she was like, all right, first and foremost, what's the deal with you and fucking because you never want to. And I was just open about that. I basically told her what I told all those people on stage that night. And um, yeah, she was just like, all right, we're, we're going to do that. But on, on your schedule, you know, she was really accommodating about it, which is, which is cool. And yeah, that's kind of how that happened. That sounds pretty healthy. Yeah. Was it healthy um, throughout? Once he had through it, did it, did it just, it, was it a positive experience from the get-go? And like was the relationship? Well, not so much the, the relationship, but from the point where she basically says, it's going to happen. Yeah. On your timeline. Yeah. From that point on to, into and after the fact, when you guys actually... Would I consider that a positive experience, yes. like sexually, like or just emotionally, or personally, personally, yeah, less sexually, net positive, yeah, I would say. Okay, there's some hangups in there, but I would say yeah. Well, good, because um, I, I truly, I, I can't imagine, from my again, from my perspective, I can't imagine or, or remember the feeling of that sort of was were you nervous very much so okay um, yes because i by that i mean it's 14 how old were you genevieve <laughs> um i was 13 with girls yeah and then i did everything but with this dude cody in high school because his dick was too big and i'd have scared vagina how old were you then well, that started when I was 14. Well, I had had pretty much an adult lesbian relationship with, like, a high school girl while I was in middle school. And she was getting uh, predatoryized by, uh, like, adults and college students. So I already knew how to make stuff go down. And so I did that with Cody. And he's like, okay. And we did that for four years. Um, but then I did not have a dick in my vagina until the night I saw Afro Man. And I just wanted to lose it finally, you know, just because it's first week of college. Just get rid of that thing. That was in New Orleans, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I did it standing up. Was I on ecstasy? I was on something. I did it standing up in the dormitory bathrooms, Buttick Hall in Loyola, like touching my toes in the shower. And that's how I lost my guy virginity. I lost my girl virginity. That sounds weird. I lost my uh, virginity. Um, I was 14 and it was, there was nothing really special about it. Girl comes over. Parents aren't home. It's the summer. Her friend who's 16, she can, she can drop her off for a couple of hours. There you go. We had sex. It was fine. My girl virginity was really actually like kind of hot and heavy and like making out in nunnery, outside the nunnery, um, and all over Murphy and abandoned buses and on top of buildings. You guys are using a lot of like proper nouns and it's making me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, so anyway, so we all had pretty good virginity loss experiences. I'd say... All really different. All equally valid. <laughs> but, like, what happened with that relationship, though? Oh, it was... <laughs> um, I'll, I'll try to remain professional. Uh, this isn't about throwing people under the bus as much as it's about your experience and feelings about when it happens. So, obviously, you're not going to drop anyone's name. If, if I can't find out who ate the cum nachos, I, obviously, we're not going to talk about anything too personal. But I'm a lockbox. I know you are. And that's okay. That's good for your own life. Um, but, you know, don't don't feel like you're stifling yourself by telling your well, version about, of the let's story. Let's talk about, okay, the relationship did end eventually. Yes. Talk about some of the lessons that you learned. I learned from that relationship to be self-sufficient when it comes to my feelings and my definition of happiness. It was like I put, I gave someone else the remote control to my emotions and that ended terribly. That's a, a very bad thing to do. And I don't think I'm ever going to do that again. Did you feel, or do you feel um, more productive when you're not in a relationship? God, yes. Okay. Cause one of the, one of the, the biggest like driving factors of like me writing and being able to produce work is spite and like anger and when I'm happy and not, you know, I don't, I don't feel like I have anything to prove. I don't produce anything. It's like your own personal kind of, um, comfort fat, as they say, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You don't actually have to get fat, but it's, it just, it's late. It, it, it gives you a sense of there's always going to be, there's going to be a complacent kind of vibe that goes down. When especially if you the longer the relationship gets for most people that you're going to kind of fall into a pattern. I think what I want to do is is try to challenge myself to write differently because it feels like I always draw from the same place emotionally in order to write jokes. And I feel like my jokes would come across differently or at least like be kind of fresh if they came from a different perspective, but I just don't, I don't have that voice right now. So well, I have to discover that. Which, which point in which place do you think, um, other than the, the joke we heard earlier, um, do you think the majority of your angst comes from, you know, a place of that or where all do you pull from as far as the negative that you put out in your comedy? It's, in a word, frustration, okay. I would say. Like, I, I try to come off frustrated in my performance, like, on stage with my, you know, mannerisms or whatever. And just, I don't know, at some, uh, near the end of some jokes, I'll just be, like, screaming with the mic away from my face, just, like, screaming into the audience. And that's, I don't know, I, I try to communicate, like, I'm very pissed off and mad, mad at the world about something. Now, you had mentioned to me earlier that you wanted to try to do a set with no mic at all the whole time. Yes. So talk about talk some about like the way y'all workshop your comedy. 
doing these open mics every week and how your jokes change and how you experiment and try out different things in performance. It's fun, man. Like stand stand up, I would I would say kind of saved my life cuz I've been kind of like a depressive person especially after like dropping out of college and kind of like feeling like a failure and all that. Stand up was the first thing that I could like say that I actually fell in love with. Like I the the feeling of of going on stage and telling a joke and it like landing is better than anything I've ever felt. And it's cool because that can evolve in so many ways. Like you can tell a joke and it lands one week and then you tell the same joke the same way the next week and it kind of doesn't. It's art. It's subjective. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's a way of, of like just reading the mood of the crowd and like making a joke hit differently for that crowd. And it it transforms jokes. Like you might say something just off the cuff at the end of one of your jokes that you always do. And that gets a bigger reaction than the punchline you wrote. So you write that in and it morphs like that until you have this perfect, you know, crafted piece and it's, chef's kiss it's 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 beautiful i noticed that um at your last set that you did at blind mule attic open mic comedy um you have this hand job joke you do (laughs) and um yes from the first time i heard it to this last time you'd added a line what was it something about um oh you can keep touching my dick if you want and all the old people laugh. i never got a hand job that i liked not like once in my life, but I don't, <laughs> okay. I don't want any women in the audience to take it personally because it's really not your fault. It's just that, like you're not bad at it. It's just I'm, I'm terrific at it. I'm amazing. Like I've been practicing this shit every day like twice for 20 years. Like you can't, you're not fucking with the God. I'm sorry, just stop. It was fine though, you can keep trying. I was just playing. Play with my dick for as long as you want. The The oldest people in the audience thought that was the funniest. I love y'all. But uh, yes. That was weird. That was really weird. Um, like she was saying, I told uh, a joke about how I've never received a hand job that I liked, which was part of the whole virginity joke package that I that I made. But um, yeah, when I got to the end of that joke, I just said something off the cuff, just like, "Oh, I'm just playing. You can play with my dick for as long as you want." And, like, all the old ladies, like, kind of along the wall just lost it. They just thought that was the greatest thing. They've been playing with that dick a long time. Yes, for for, for decades even. I don't know. I it, think, it was a really weird reaction. Did you keep that, that, that part at the end of the bit? I haven't done it since. Do it. That's perfect. Okay. That is actually... Because it, <laughs> it's something that you can use to include the crowd. Like yeah. it points them out and says, hey, if anybody wants to touch my dick, come on. 
Just, yeah, it's every, like, everybody you're not take yourself out of the running. Everybody <laughs> loves being included. Everyone. Yeah. Yeah, that's why that's actually a great subtle bit of, you know, uh, crowd work in comedy. Too many people focus too heavily on the crowd is my mark and I'm going to pick you out and pick you out. Let's talk to the front row, blah, blah, blah. That's a great one because it's quick and it's in and out. I like to focus, if I'm going to fuck with the crowd, which I've been known to do, I actually got carried away with it. Why? I'm about to fucking tell you why! <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ! Stop! Actually, I used to host at the Blind Mule, and I created an environment with my hosting where people would show up to, he to heckle me, and it would create, like, this hostile environment. But then, like, it was cool for me because it was fun and unpredictable, but then other comedians had to follow that and I, that never occurred to me like like you were fucking up the night for uh, other comedians <laughs> i'll continue the joke now we would have been halfway through my set by now now one of my friends came one time and she brought her little dog and i got heckled by a dog and i had a back and forth with a dog and that was really I, I would say that's a career highlight well, yeah because i bet it killed the room i bet it just yeah. like yeah there's nothing because yeah. honestly again that's another thing you that's can't like a baby crying in yeah. a classroom yeah but like turning into it a, turning it into a bit no one could have followed you you just screamed at a dog well i'm not that's the thing like i'm as the host i should be creating an environment where people can follow uh -huh. right yeah. i'm supposed to be accommodating and i'm not i'm just getting myself yeah. over yeah like that's you how know. compton is at blind yeah. mule He's compton very, is amazing he has really great little bits <laughs> hey quick question uh since we are in the uh how many of you have seen these camouflage paint jobs i got on pickup trucks now anybody i know that shit doesn't work does it <laughs> you guys ready for your next comedian I know it's fucking hot, but y'all are fucking champs for plowing through. Make some noise for the lack of air conditioning in this place. Woo! Damn right, it's the attic and we love it. That's what we're here for. Yeah, Compton is... I'm so glad that he's doing it now because I always tell him he's so much better at it than I ever was. What's like, his podcast called? It's called Truth, Love, and Peace. Truth, Love, and Peace. There is an episode featuring me. Where can, do you know where they can find the podcast? Uh, it's on YouTube. Okay. And I think that it's on SoundCloud. Okay. But it's definitely on his YouTube, uh, Compton Smith. So, yeah, you can find that. And, uh, yeah, there's an episode with me on it. TLP Ryan Adams. I don't know what number it is. So, I recently learned about something on the internet. Yes. You know, like, there are a whole bunch more identities and pronouns and, like, ways to identify and explain and understand our very different sexual experiences. Yeah, I went down a rabbit hole with those. It's, uh, it's fascinating to see, like, specifically where you fit in to the spectrum. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun. Well, what did you find? Yeah, what did you find? Um, well, so, you know, okay, so asexuals, there's a lot more awareness about asexuals. And you see these memes where they sort of explain their struggles. 
Um, and apparently one of their struggles is that everyone's like, oh, it's so lucky to be like you. Like, they don't really have issues the same way that, you know, queer people and all types of people, like, they're, they're not in the intersection. They get treated like they're not in the intersection of, like, specific, um, like, culture-coded experiences that are unique to people like them. Um, so... I had, I am honestly, I'm guilty of kind of writing off the asexual struggle. Like when I first heard about the asexual movement, I did literally think like, well, y'all are lucky. Like you get to avoid everything because like relationships are the number one most damaging thing in my life. Romantic relationships. Agreed. Yeah. I mean, that's like I was saying earlier, there's always going to be that underlining bit of toxicity when it comes to a sexual relationship that goes at some point, you know, because there's always going to be something that overlaps that makes somebody feel this way about that or whatever. And then especially if that's a long-term relationship is going to affect you in that way. And it's just time consuming. It's distracting. It's really easy to like adapt other people's unhealthy behaviors, which we all do even in friendships. But anyway, so this new term that I learned is demisexual. Ooh, I've heard that one. Yeah, because I showed you this cartoon that I saw on Facebook. Yeah, you did. And basically, it's like they're are kind of on a spectrum, not quite asexual. It's like a Kinsey scale type thing. And they don't form attractions like we do. Like when we see someone or like engage with them or like talk or share a laugh with them, we can, we know what's up. You know, MILF at the drag show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's a very very specific example um but there's always a milf at the drag show who gives you the side eye and you can immediately pick up on whatever the vibe is whether it's a you know like a, i don't know there's always kind of like there's everybody's always, husband at the mardi gras ball there's always a vibe and being able to pick up on that is that's my life forever i can't imagine not being able to pick up on it. So demisexuals, they're not like that. They're, they don't really pursue attractions. They don't really like, you know, get on, you know, the internet and set up dates with people. They're not driven by that kind of biological urge. Though they do, unlike asexuals, experience sexual attraction. Um, but it has to be like with people that they've really built up like a friend intimacy with first. And Ryan, did you see any of your situation and feelings in that description? I saw all of them. Okay, explain. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird when uh, when your mind works away or you feel away or whatever, and you think, "Oh, that's just how I am," or "That's just me being weird," or whatever. And then, like you were saying, you get on the internet and you start looking at this stuff, and you see here is. A group of people that are exactly like you and it's it's mind-blowing because like you were saying you can't imagine how it would feel uh not like picking up on all these signals and i feel like as i'm gonna just label myself now as a demisexual right now as a demisexual i feel like like i i see the signals like i receive them I, I can tell that someone is trying to whatever like i can tell that it's just that i don't care it, it's like 
when I go out and I look amongst a crowd or whatever, I just see a bunch of like gray people basically and it takes gray area yeah and it just it takes having like an emotional like some sort of bond with someone before i see them in color you know before i I... like pleasantville yeah exactly like pleasantville whatever that is yes exactly uh yeah and that's kind of what it is for me um like i never like, sex always felt like a formality to me. Like, it's something I have to do so that this other person will be happy until I find people that, like, I'm emotionally, you know, bonded with. And then that's when it's it becomes like a, this is a thing that we're going to do together because we care about each other. And, and it's, it, it's a, I know for, I, I, I think I know from firsthand experience, um, that being on the other side of it is strange to where you can have someone who will put out what anyone else would consider to be like the vibe like okay um i had a girl uh not to (laughs) no specifics um but there was a girl who drove like an hour and a half to hang out an hour and a half stayed the night to hang out to hang out yeah just like i'm coming into town what else are you going to do? No, I'm just coming to hang out with you. Ooh. And mm. stay the night. Stay all weekend. Wasn't there, like, supposed to be a tropical storm, but there wasn't really? And y'all were going to ride out the storm together? That was the pretense. That was the first time. But then she ended up driving home, and it was fine. Now, when uh, there was another try, you're right. There was another tropical storm. But not every time there was there wasn't an excuse every time i remember specifically the last time that it happened before i ended up you know like slipping and falling into another relationship um she came over and it was the same thing and i had talked to genevieve about it where it was like i don't really know how to broach the conversation because there's no way to bring that up without being awkward or presumptuous or coming off as I don't know, seeming entitled, especially as a guy. Um, yeah. That's just not something that I'm I'm never going to be comfortable enough to do it. Not really. Even if I, in my head I talk it up, like I could I could figure it out. No, I can't. So y'all just cuddled, right? Yeah, like there was there was light cuddling and there was like kind of, you know, just sleeping real close. I mean, that sounds nice. It was it was super nice. It I was actually guys like... guys that I like just cuddle with. Oh, yeah. And look, sleeping. That's fine. And that's totally cool. I mean, that's, again... It was never a problem, and I've never, to this day, I've never brought it up to her because why? There's no point. It it's makes okay. people feel uncomfortable. It's okay to cuddle with your friends. It totally is. And If but, you're not cuddling with your friends, you're cuddling with your enemies. Whoa. <laughs> Hot take. <laughs> but, again, from the perspective of someone who's definitely not demisexual, it was strange to hear later on the what the um, the signifiers or the description of demisexual, and then think about that girl that I knew and think, okay, yeah, I see that. That explains it a bit more, and I could be completely wrong. And but it might be that she felt comfortable doing that with you because, like, she knows you and y'all are buddies, and she knows that you're not gonna force anything on her. But you're going to give her intimacy. And it's probably, I would imagine that like, you know, anytime you're not willing to do certain things that everyone is doing, 
in any social situation. Yeah. It's going to be a disadvantage with dating and with finding good partners. Um, so it's like you're someone who she can get intimacy from and I, on but, her but terms. The thing about it is, is that, though, in the moment, any, everyone who I brought it to, you included, we all kind of came to the same conclusion. Like, she has to want to fuck, right? Like, that's just kind of like... Because I told you more about it, like, in depth as far as, yeah, like... Yeah, even uh, with girls. Like, it's more so with guys, obviously, with uh, toxic yeah, masculinity. Uh, yeah, yeah. But um, even with girls, it's like, oh, yeah, she's trying to... Fuck. People think that I'm trying to fuck everybody. Like, oh, me people too. People think we fuck. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah absolutely. With the amount that we've hung out over the last five or six years, uh, there's no way people don't think that. I know for a fact that people think that. Um, just as many people probably think that as people think that I'm gay. <laughs> Oh, yeah, definitely. And I have a dick. So You have a dick. Both rumors are true. Yeah. Um, I, I can confirm both rumors being true, yes. Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> yes. We have a notary. But again, talking about um, the toxicity in sex, masculinity is a big one. And did you ever yeah. feel that kind of forced upon you in any way? Like a pressure? Yes. Like to- the expectations of masculinity. How did that affect your sexual interactions? In Hol- holy shit. It... It it wasn't a thing that I would say, like you would, you, you vision like villains in a high school movie. There was like, oh, you gotta have sex or you're not cool. It was never that, but there was kind of like this underlying, like you would be with the guys and we'd all start, you know, talking about sexual experiences. It's like, oh, Ryan, how do you feel? And it's like crickets, and I don't. I don't have anything to add here. Would you add anything? Would you kind of spice it up just for the, the shits? I would find creative ways to leave the room. Okay. Like, I, I piss a lot for those that know me, so I could easily just be like, I've got to go to the bathroom. Like, a couple... Don't make it obvious to where it's like I'm skipping out on this, but like, you know, a couple of... If we're going down a row of people, like a, a, maybe two people before it gets to me dip out. And then try to come back later. So I'm curious. Now, a lot of people don't know a lot about Mobile, Alabama. But Mobile, Alabama is Alabama. Yes. So whatever your assumptions are, yes. <laughs> um, but Mobile's, I guess, kind of more diverse and liberal bubbly. Um, so interracial relationships are really common. And we've all been in one. But me and Steven have never been a black person in Alabama in an interracial relationship. What can you tell us about that? Um, well, starting off, I would say the earliest um, story that I have of that is like second grade, something like that. Real, real small kids, toddlers, basically. Um, I was in a classroom with i'm not sure how many kids but uh there were kind of like cute quote-unquote couples in the class like oh that's your that's your boyfriend over there and stuff like that like the teacher always thought it was cute which is really weird yeah it's, it's real it's weird really it's fucking like they're weird. grooming us yeah ugh. valentine's nah, day check this out though so um i had a crush on this girl she was white but uh I went to the bathroom and when I was coming back, there was some kind of like homecoming or something like there was some some girl. She was walking by herself and she was like dressed up in a dress and she had a bouquet of flowers and one of them fell 
to the ground and I went and picked it up and I was like, oh, hey, you dropped this. And she was like, oh, you can have it. So I was like, I'm going to give this to my crush and it's it's going to be cool. So I go in there and I give it to her. I don't, do not remember what her name was, but I get here. I've, I got this for you. And uh, the teacher kind of lost it and was like, no, we're not doing that. Like took it from her and all that. And I remember being so confused. Like I've seen other children kind of like doing the exact same thing. Why is it so maddening now? And I, I didn't understand it at the time. But God, I have stories like this that pepper my entire... Y'all want me to just go on? Yeah, please. Yeah, best ups. All right, so in high school, I dated a girl. She was white. And um, whenever we would hold hands and walk through the hallways, people would throw, like, trash at us, like, balled up pieces of paper, Powerade bottles, water bottles, uh, what else? I think that was it. Yeah, yeah. That, that was it. Paper and bottles were the popular things to throw at us. Um, this is in Satsuma, by the way. This is in Satsuma in what year? Uh, 2004 and 5. 5, okay. 6, something like that. Yeah. Um, I remember we were we went to a football game because we were in band and we had to go to every football game. We were I had my arm around her and we were walking around. And I felt something hit my shoulder and someone, cause we were walking on the, on the grass. So someone from the stands had spit on me and that, that was, that was odd. Uh, where else? Okay. So later on, I'm out at a bar. This is years later. And. You know how when you when you meet up with a girl and it's kind of like a lock, like we are going to go home and fuck like we this yes. Is, yeah. So that was happening. I could have lost my virginity this night, except at one point in the night, she leans in really close to my ear and whispers, I'm in the mood for some chocolate tonight. And it killed uh. any arousal that I had. And yeah, I just kind of ghosted her. For that, do y'all want me to go on? Yeah, I'm kind of tired. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I'm curious about. Okay, so I find in my experience that, like, I'll date a couple black guys and kind of immediately get branded. Like, I will have white friends come up to me and say to my face that, like, like act like I have like a thing or a fetish for black guys. I've even had guy friends say, "You look like." the kind of girl who dates black guys. But, like, I mean, I've dated some black guys, but you get branded just for, like, dating a couple. Do you find it's like that with dating white girls? Like, do you feel like you're kind of branded? Oh, absolutely. See, because the examples I just gave you were all of white girls. Um, but I've, I've dated, like lots of races i would say like it feels so weird to say because i sound like i'm apologizing for something that i shouldn't be but uh it but it's that that people focus on because like that is that's the the worst offense it seems like you're dating a white girl though 
It couldn't be a, a Latin girl or something. It had to be a white girl. So many of them. Ryan, what's the deal? Like what? But really, it's self-hater that those incidences are kind of the loudest and most dramatic. Yeah. It, it seems like I'm doing something forbidden. Like I'm not supposed... It's disrespectful to my people to do that. And it seems like that's the attitude towards it. I, I think the sad thing is that people down um, down here in this part of the country have to experience that. On, I feel like on such a more wide-reaching, um, to a wide, more wide-reaching degree. I mean, just because I know plenty of people who live elsewhere and you can go visit elsewhere, different cities and different places, even still in the South, you know, you go to Atlanta or Athens, it's like, no one says yeah. shit about it. Down here, though, as liberal as Mobile tries to be and pretends to be, it's still Southern Alabama. Yeah, it's still Alabama. It's still like just as South as you can absolutely fucking get. We live in a swamp. It's such a mixed bag that you'll like encounter extreme versions of both sides oh, just 100%. walking around. And um, in the wild, and you can feel safe being a certain way or like speaking your truth one second, and then you suddenly realize, oh, now I've just been blacklisted from this part of the community. Oh yeah, from being in these certain areas, these certain spaces, territories. Yeah, Mobile's weird like that. It's uh, it's big enough to be considered a city, but small enough for it to be ruled by like. A few people. Oh, it's, yeah. It's real weird. Fiefdoms. <laughs> it's also a city that I feel like you would still, again, I can't speak from the from like your position, but I feel like you would still be very, very, un- just as likely to get shit thrown at you in high school for it now as you would be in 2004. Because while certain groups of kids are going to be more woke, they, well, but I think like, you're gonna have more people defending you now. You, maybe you're gonna have like a high school is high school. High school like, is high school. People, that's true. People uh, are petty and they they're weak until they become strong. And everything's blackmail. I almost started a race war at Alchemy once, and that was a uh, that was an interesting experience. Uh, Alchemy is one of the one of the only places downtown that I'll hang out because of this. Because I remember one time I was dating a girl. Uh, she, she she was white and um uh we went to a, another bar downtown whose name i won't say right now but we were walking around in there and I've, i just felt unsafe like you know when you can just feel the eyes of the entire room just kind of burning through you why don't you want to name the bar if you haven't had a bad experience there yeah because it, I feel like it paints the bar in a negative light well, and it I'll, might be I'll considered bad name Haley's. Slander. yeah there you go yeah it hey. was it was O'Daly's. Oh, oh the uh, the Irish place. Yeah, okay. I didn't, I did not like the atmosphere. It, it seemed hostile. Well, the atmosphere at O'Daly's are um, people from West Mobile, uh, which I know to most people that doesn't mean anything. But if you live in our town, you know West Mobile is kind of yokel. It's kind of country. They're like old frat boys, I think. Yeah, they are frat boys. Oh, and some girls. Yeah, frat boys who married the, who married the cheerleader and had their boring white bread kids. And moved to the suburbs and built a whole new suburb for their kind. Well, what's perfect is that people are not like that at Alchemy because 
one time I was singing a karaoke song and I kind of got into it with uh, this group of people. I think they were um, a wedding party or something, but they were not into me being as, you know, kind of, I don't know, this is during the whole antagonistic stand-up phase. So I would always, anytime I had a mic in my hand, I would, you know, just play with whatever crowd I was in front of. What were you singing? Uh, I don't know what I sang that pissed him off, but I sang Cult of Personality afterwards. That's kind of like a fuck you. I'm going to do whatever I want. And uh, it got kind of weird because, like, I'd like to travel through the audience when I'm singing. And when I would pass by them, they would, like, put their bodies in a way that I had to, like, brush past them. And they were just being kind of physical and pushy and, like, kind of threatening a little bit. And then it got around the bar that they were fucking with me. And it turned into, like, the entire bar against them because a friend of mine told me that they had you know, said some racial slurs about me. Yeah. And that got around and people were like, not, not on this land, like not here. And yeah, it was a really cool, like uplifting moment. Cause people that didn't even know me were coming up and being like, Oh, which one of them is bothering you? I'll go knock him out. It was, I don't know. It was great. That's awesome. That's kind of like real life social justice warriors. And everyone talks shit about social justice warriors, but really in real life, they're just the people who like stand up to bullies. And it's getting more and more cool to stand up to bullies. I mean, I think it's getting kind of imperative. Especially when you can do it with a bar full of other people. Like it's, it's another story to do it alone, but it, it, that was an environment where it became easy to just join the cause. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Before we head out, there's a couple things. I want a story from you that I heard about. And I you want to, st- oh, no. and I want to tell my story real fast. You heard I'll, about it. I'll make it quick. My story, and it has to do with uh, going out like a champ, uh, drinking. I remember there was a birthday party that I went to with you, Ryan. Yes. Do you remember this? You have to refresh my memory. A okay, bit. this would have been probably two thousand and nine or ten. Oh God, I was a shithead. We well, of course we all yeah. were. So, um, and I'm going to prove to you right now how much of a shithead I was. So we're playing Captain Dickhead. Yes, and I'll I'm drink- miss that game. I know, I know. So I'm drinking PBR on top of taking like periodic shots of Jaeger. I realize that I'm at about seven or eight shots of Jaeger. Ooh. And I remember my dad had told me. This is one of the last things I remember about that night. That my dad had told me that he had done 10 one time. And he said that he it was the worst thing he ever did. And I said, in my head at that moment, I thought, well, I'm at least doing 10. Oh, no. I, Steven. I did, Legacy. Mm-hmm. I did... The last count was 13 shots. Oh, my God. And I remember going into the living room of that house and sitting on the couch. We were watching Tosh.0. I will never forget it. We were watching Tosh.0. And then that's the last thing I remember. Is this the night where you puked all over my truck? You're goddamn right it is. Okay. So the next now, thing. Now I'm keyed in. Okay. The, <laughs> the next thing that I knew, though, the next thing I knew <laughs> after Tosh.0, the last, the next thing I know is my aunt shaking me. I'm in my bed. She says, you need to get up and take a shower. You smell like puke. Oh, yeah. And I said, why would I smell like puke? I'm completely oblivious. That's how you know you puked good. Yeah. So she leaves the room and I stand up 
and puke in my hands. Oh, you were not done. Not done. I, I'm lucky that I didn't choke on my own vomit and die. Especially the way that puke was still in there after all those Ooh. hours of being asleep. It's not terrible. Um, there's a reason I don't drink anymore. But so I take a shower and eventually it hits me. How in the hell did I get home? What happened? Who got me inside? Who made sure that I was there? Who's, who's my angel? And of course it was Ryan Adams because he's Hi. super sweet. Um, but apparently, from what I recall of what you told me 10 years ago, um, I puked on the couch. Yes. And then you guys basically had to clean me up. And the couch. The couch, of course. Jesus. You, we, you're taking me home, but you stop at the gas station. Yes. And then I puked in the truck. You you puked um over the side of it wasn't in the truck. It was over the side of it, but there was puke all over like the door. So I actually did attempt to get the door open. No, you just like the window was open. Okay. So you puked over the side of the window, <laughs> but not in a way that you would miss the truck. Like you just puked on the I'm truck. S- I'm still actually shocked. That I gave the honest attempt to put my head. I was able to like constantly like put my head went like. Nah, dude, I got so drunk that I tried to piss on my roommate's couch once. Like it, it happens. Oh, I know. I know that you understood, but now kind of going over it, even all this time later, I, that's as much as I remember, because you told me. Yeah. That's it. I have no recollection of that night whatsoever. And I try not to play with people's memories because I black out a lot, too. And when it's like, hey, friend that was there all night, I need you to tell me truthfully what the fuck happened. I don't need to be fucked with in that moment because anything that person tells me is true to me. Yeah, 100%. as As far as I'm concerned. So, yeah. I, w- I wouldn't lie to you. Th- those things did happen. Well, I want to say uh, at the end of all these years, thank you for taking care of me when I <laughs> could have died. Dude, no problem. Yeah, that's that. Those are the friends who are. Um, time doesn't. I don't know. Time has a way of we cannot see each other for a while, but when you do something for someone like that, you will remember it. Um. So, uh-huh. like, what now? What's your goals? Oh, goals! I never have those. Um, I, I want to turn my creativity into money somehow. Um, that's a goal. Um, I just recently left a, uh, a job where, cause I'm, I'm always working two jobs, but I had a main job and I've kept my side job. So I have to figure something else out. But, um, it was a situation where I didn't, have time to do anything creative or anything that I would consider fun because I was always working and the money was nice, but I had at a certain point I had to make a decision that it wasn't sustainable. But uh, definitely a goal of mine would be to, to, to make enough money to live and not have to re-enter that world, um, which is next to impossible, but I'm, I'm trying to figure it out. Uh, I feel like you have to be a hooker to pull that off. <laughs> I'm not a good hooker. I think nah. that's this actually this whole episode has done nothing but prove that he would not be a good hooker. <laughs> I, would, I, would, I would fail <laughs> at that. Good comic, terrible hooker. <laughs> yeah, that should be your T-shirt. 
I already have a t-shirt. I know dude. Free Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> can good they, old can we buy shot. the t-shirt? Oh, my God. No. Another thing that I'm terrible at is selling fucking t-shirts. Man, it's a it's an ordeal. Um, if if I the the way I did it last time is if I receive an overwhelming demand for the t-shirts, I will bring them back. But what always happens is people will say, "I want one. I'm going to buy one." I bring them back, and half of those people do not buy the shirt. And yeah, it's a little frustrating, but that's fine. The four way story. What was that? Oh, you've got a really funny joke about foursomes. I, I, kept, I kept trying to throw up the four, but no one was oh, catching it. Oh, like, I, I just like, I what is he doing? I thought you were just doing? in the four horsemen or something. No, I was trying to throw up the I four. I forgot so the man. universal sign language for being asked into a foursome <laughs> at a hot dog stand. So this is a great story because this is a great situation where it's like people are viewing you a certain way that has absolutely nothing to fucking do with you. So I'm standing in line at the hot dog stand behind like, it's two girls and a guy and then me. So I'm standing here minding my business like I do because I'm all cool. And then I see them like whispering to each other. And then one of the girls like saunters up to me and she's like, hey, are are you like gay? I just want to know if you're gay. I'm like, I don't don't know if I'd say I'm gay. I'd say I'm like, 70% 70% straight, 30% other. Like, I don't I don't know about gay, though. And then she's like, I just want to know if you eat ass. Do you eat ass? Do you see how weird it is when I direct that question towards you? That's how I felt. So immediately, I'm like, what? Why? What? You don't even know what my fucking name is. What the hell? She's like, I just want to know if you want to have a foursome with us, uh, like us over here. And I'm just kind of like arguing with her. Like, I don't know you guys. Y'all don't know me. Like, why are you asking a stranger this? And then that's when the other two come up and the guy like gets in my face and he's like, look, dude, if you're not trying to have a foursome tonight, I don't even know why we're talking. wasting his time now <laughs> like bro I don't even know why you came to this hot dog stand if you're not trying to eat ass in a foursome dude you need to get the stupid <laughs> yeah it's, it's the perfect example of that um because we talked for all this time about like what's going on in my mind as far as like sexual encounters and uh think things that I would find normal and in, in those kind of interactions and I had an uh, an experience at a hot dog stand that just like shattered through all of that. Like it gave me a peek into a world that I I was it, a world that you see in porn, and it was just odd to me. You're at a hot dog stand. Yes. Can we paint a, a more vivid picture of wh- where's the hot dog stand? When where? When where? Okay, this is downtown in the middle of the night. I'd say around like two and some change o'clock something like that i'm here in town in mobile yes i'm about to go home lower dolphin street like drunk people abound yes it is the hot dog stand that is on the opposite corner from haley's so if you're at haley's and you're staring diagonally across the street you're looking at it yep i'm not i'm not sure what (laughs) intersection that is but anyone from mobile that goes downtown knows what the fuck i'm talking about 
so I'm there and that's happening. She asked me if I eat ass and I'm, that's when I'm just kind of taken aback and I just kind of like start defending myself and I'm kind of like, okay, wait, stop. I'm asking the questions now. What the fuck? Why would you ask me that? That's a, this is an extremely inappropriate question. You don't even know my name yet. And she's like, I just wanted to know if you wanted to have a foursome with us. Do you want to have a foursome with us? It, it, it makes me feel like, remember the whole uh, the Pizzagate shit? It makes me feel like I was just unaware that hot dog stands were just like an underground front for people trying to have group sex. Which I know that now, so I'm just putting that out into the world. How'd you get out of it? Did you just kind of fuck off into the night, like back yeah. away? Yeah. I I I smooth um, deleted myself from that conversation. Like we were, we kept talking because I guess they were like, "Oh, he's an interesting guy," even though he doesn't want to have a foursome. Maybe that's why you're interesting. Even though I don't want to have a foursome, <laughs> I'm, I'm able to smoothly uh, uh, exit these kind of situations. Cause that's what I did. It wasn't like a, a, a smooth, like shut the fuck up and left. Yeah. It was like, uh, I started a conversation and then while they were talking amongst themselves, I just kind of dipped. Cause I'd finished my hot dog at that point. And I was going to ask if you guys got the hot dog. That's how downtown should be handled. Yes. I, I think that was the safest route. Cause they could have easily just knocked me out and took me and I would have just been in the foursome and, <laughs> I'm sure that happens downtown too. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, if they go up to enough people, you know, there's a lot of dudes going to be like, "All right." Fuck I it. mean, these were attractive people. It's not like they could, they couldn't find someone that would be interested. Why, just, why do you think you were one of their choices? I don't know. Because I, because do you look like you might be bisexual or eat ass? Do you think to them? Or yes. do they associate, do they think you seem like you'd be down or safe, maybe? Or respectful? Probably a little bit of both. When I think when, when they looked at me, they didn't see a threat. Because I definitely think that they discussed it. Like, they saw me walk up behind them, and maybe one of them had said to the other, like, oh, hey, look, look maybe we could talk to this guy or whatever. Because that's one of the things that works in my favor and also, like, really fucking doesn't is the fact that I'm a very non-threatening person. And it it works out for me a lot, but at the same time, it gets me into situations like this. And I don't know. I kind of don't know how to feel about it. But um, it's a really funny joke, though. <laughs> yeah, I turned it into a joke. It's one of those things where it took me a while to realize that it was a joke. Because at first it was just this weird thing that happened to me. And I was just kind of frustrated about it. Because it, it, shit like that is the reason I don't like meeting new people at, at 31. I'm not sure. But it, it's just odd to me to, to to speculate on what their relationship together has to be like. That they're comfortable asking a stranger at a, at a hot dog stand to be in a foursome. I think they probably like do party drugs and like to party and then like to fuck. But they also kind of have like a late night Waffle House friendship on top of that that is more meaningful than any of them have the vocabulary to put into words. That was beautiful. Thank you, Genevieve. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I feel bad I wasn't in the foursome now. No, but you don't have to be. You were in the foursome. 
at the hot dog stand. The oh, that's true. Conversation. We shared that. <laughs> that's four people in one conversation. <laughs> that's the whole sidewalk. You're blocking pedestrians. <laughs> yeah. All this hot and heavy interrogation. <laughs> With my protests. <laughs> I mean, if you're willing to put like a street hot dog in you. Don't victim blame. <laughs> Don't do this. So yeah, that's the uh, the hot dog foursome story. So we asked you why you're here at the beginning, right? Yes. But we we talked about me a lot, which is cool because I love to talk about me. But again, you asked, why am I here? And I feel like we did not answer that, but we got a lot out of me and I want a lot out of you. Why are you here? It's really hard to put in words. I enjoy talking to people and I enjoy doing something that's positive in just hearing people's stories. Sometimes people just need to be heard. Sometimes it feels good to talk about shit that you don't verbalize. We think about stuff so much, but we don't a lot of times verbalize these things in front of people. Yeah, a lot of times I won't realize that I feel a way until I say it out, out loud. loud. Yeah, it's and that's, weird. That's something that I enjoy. Maybe I should be a therapist. But I enjoy that. And I I want to, we joke about safe space, but I want this to be a safe, like a safe place to where, yeah, it's going out to whoever wants to listen to it. But in this moment, in this room, it's somewhere where the judgment is non-existent, to where people can be themselves, say what they want to say, and do what they want to do, and live a way where and live in a room where they can just say whatever they want to say. If we don't, if you don't want it, if they say no, we want to do it. Of course, you cut it out. We're not live, but I want it to be comfortable enough. And we, and I'm doing it for not only for th- that person. I'm doing it for. Genevieve, who deserves to have that same spot. And for me, who, I, you know, we all deserve to have our spot to get shit off of our chest, whether it's from last week or whether it's from 10 years ago. There's always something that can not only help yourself in kind of getting it off your chest, but also help, hopefully help the person or who's ever listening who may have experienced a similar thing and either didn't get out of it soon enough or like it's maybe still in it any when that's not just a relationship that's anything that holds you up a that's, fucking job yeah that's in that's really family dynamic anything because all of this shit no matter what it's all really in your head because it exists but if you want to say fuck them all you can student loans exactly um and that's just that's that was my main goal and I feel like we're all going to get a lot off of our chest and a lot of honesty. And that's, I don't know, I feel like that's something that we all need because we're we're all at that same, everyone at this table right here is at an age to where we've had, you know, 12, you know, to between 10 and 12 years of kind of living on our own. And 30 is a good, I always said, if I made it to 30, if I live to 30, I'll go to therapy. Because well, you're almost there. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like I've I'm almost there and now I'm to the point to where I do love talking about what I feel. And this podcast for me is just as much 
about that as it is anything else. Just saying how I feel about things, and the more you talk about it, either the more real it becomes, or things that have already been real and passed, they become dead. You talked about it. And there, and, go ahead. And you hope that you can put it in the past. Very good, Stephen. <laughs> I felt that answer. Now, uh, G- Genevieve, would you would you I like to like speak? I feel like this is a spelling bee, so I'm going to spell it out for you. <laughs> oh, oh my god. Um. Well, no, for real though, I'm really inspired just by okay, both me and Stephen are podcasters, and especially for an inaugural episode of something, you know, you'd want to do it with another podcaster. So we have another podcaster here, Dorith. Hi. And um, so like the fact that we're both podcasters and then the fact that we're also super best friends, like I was really inspired just by our, our conversations and the way we're always analyzing ourselves and our own behavior and being kind of that person for others as well, like in our friendships and our mutual friendships, you know, like we're always having these conversations. We're always trying to figure it out and break it down and figure out ourselves. And so I was really inspired by that. And I feel like it's something like these are topics that I think other people could find comfort in. So because it's just everybody just everybody in like their shit and everyone's really different and it doesn't get talked about like this isn't the kind of stuff that gets clouded but this is what's going on like while we're producing art while we're making work and this is like the backdrop of our culture and us as individuals and who we are within that um and the dysphorias that come with that wow you guys are great at painting a picture thank you so yeah, this is the baggage claim, and um, we talk about really difficult shit and uh, art and relationships. And that was the baggage claim. Um, thank you guys for listening to our inaugural episode. Um, I am Stephen Granger, and I'm Genevieve. And definitely, y'all check out Ryan at oh, you don't Ron Truth Mexico. Say it again. At Ron Truth, Mexico. No. And thank you guys for listening. All right, Steph, uh, go ahead and uh, take us out. Hurry up, Steph.